Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Whoa, welcome. A Saturday morning devotion. Yeah, we don't get to do that too often. Normally, this is Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Central, but here we are. On a Saturday morning, just saying hello to everybody, welcome, and just pray. I just pray that God is near you and with you and close to you, and that we're seeing some tremendous things happen. So good morning to each of you. Saturday, Saturday morning, August 8th, and more importantly, day 7, day 7 of our 21 days straight prayer morning devotion. This is our call to prayer We've been doing this for a year, building our lives on the book, on prayer, on our devotion, and just believing God. We're coming to you live on Facebook, also on YouTube, podcast available later on. Just a group of believers believing together for nothing short of an awakening. We want an absolute awakening. So if you would... Like the page, follow the page, share the page. And as we rub the sleep from our eyes on this Saturday morning, the only day most of us can sleep a little late, I'm just happy you're here. Karen, Judy, uh, Brother Silo, so good to see you. God bless you. Gwen, David, buddy, thank you for being a part of this. I, um, I'm happy you're here. And we just believe, we believe God's going to do something. I want to share with you something that's, uh, you probably have noticed in the Old Testament. There's, there is a movement. Um, we go from Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness that eventually went to Shiloh, then Gibeon. And then, then we take the Ark of the Covenant and go to David's tabernacle. And the Ark of the Covenant would stay there 40 years. And then we move into Solomon's temple. And so you pretty much have a picture of law, grace, and kingdom there and uh, in Solomon's temple. But I, I, I want you to notice that there was only one thing that made the trip from Moses' tabernacle to David's tabernacle to Solomon's temple. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. That was the only thing. Uh, you remember the history of the ark. If you read the history of the ark, it's like the history of our Lord Jesus Christ. Taken in battle, looked like it was gone. Returned to Abinadab, then Obadidim, David's tabernacle where it sat for 40 years. And the church, as was prophesied by Amos and repeated by James in the book of Acts, has become the tabernacle of David rebuilt. But Solomon crafted a brand new temple. A new brazen altar, huge. A new brazen labor, huge. More candlesticks, more table of showbread, more golden altars of incense. In other words, we were entering into the comparative and the superlative. It points the way to God. Richer, deeper, better. When you stepped, if you and I could have stepped into the Holy of Holies, Solomon's temple, this is where it gets a little strange. Yeah, a little strange. The Ark of the Covenant is still there. It's still there, that same piece of furniture emblematic of the presence of God. But there are a couple of other things in there. Yeah. For the first time, the chair, the Ark of the Covenant didn't stay alone in the Holy of Holies. There were two things there, cherubim. 
that the Ark of the Covenant was dwarfed by these seeming intruders into the most holy place. The Ark, the Ark barely stood five feet tall. But those freestanding cherubim, two gigantic creatures standing guard, were some 10 cubits, 15 feet tall. They were at least 10 feet taller than the most sacred piece of furniture in the temple, 10 feet taller than the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had existed in solitude for centuries. If their presence there displeased God, I don't think the Shekinah glory would have filled the temple at its dedication. They were fashioned, they were placed in a strategic position to indicate, I think, some something of great importance, perhaps more complex than we can fully comprehend. I'd like to go into that with you today, and I want to talk to you about forgotten wings, forgotten wings. So first of all, thank you for joining us, Ted and Jennifer and Sue and Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for looping in and being a part of this morning devotion, uh, being Saturday morning here, we're a little slower getting started. Yes, I know that, but loop some other people in, wake some people up and say, let's have a little church on Saturday morning. Is that all right? Thank you for being a part of this. So we have two intruders into the most holy place, two gigantic intruders, 10 feet taller than the Ark of the Covenant, standing some 15 feet tall. What was their significance and what was their meaning? I I just want to share with you a couple of thoughts. First of all, notice they're called cherubim, cherubim. We, we say that word, it just kind of goes off of our tongue, but that's the plural of cherub and uh, cherubim. It's a plural word. It means more than one. And I think the significance is that if we're going to get into the most holy place, if we're going to soar into the heights, it will always be more than one of us. That somehow, some way, God wanted it emblematic. He wanted it seen that just as the twin cherubs on the mercy seat reached for each other, God wanted to underscore the point with two freestanding, gigantic cherubs standing before the Ark of the Covenant, that if you're going to get into the most holy place, if you're going to enter into the holiest of all, it will be found in brotherhood, it will be found in unity, it will be found in fellowship, it will be found in togetherness. Solitary saints are a misnomer. Solo flights into the heavenlies are impermissible. God has raised us up together in heavenly places. You can look and look and look and look in the Bible, and you just won't hardly find saints in the singular. You always find that word in the plural, because there is a plurality of our worship. It is we, it is us, it is our. It's not I, it's not me, it's not mine. We go together or we do not go at all. Wasn't that the great intercessory prayer of Moses? God was upset with his people. They had fashioned a golden calf and uh, returned to their idol worship. So God told Moses, he said, listen, you know, Moses, let's start all over again. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I will destroy them and I will start over with you. Not that God would have done it, but he was testing the meekest man who ever lived, this man named Moses. 
It was here that Moses prayed one of the most beautiful intercessory prayers of the Bible. It's where you see that gigantic dash in the Bible. He said, God, don't, no, no, you can't destroy them. If you destroy them, block my name out as well. If you destroy them, destroy me. Not alone, Lord, not alone. We're going to go together to the promised land. Isn't that the great prayer that each of us should pray? We're going to go together to the promised land. I can't go it alone. In this time of pandemic, in this season of isolation, in this time of separation, people are left to their own desires. People try to figure out what they're going to do all by themselves. They don't need anybody. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But it never works. We go together or we do not go at all. God invites us into the most holy place, but we will not be there all by ourselves. We're not going to be some wise guru up in the Himalayas somewhere. No, 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 no. Jesus wants us to know it's togetherness. Wasn't that what he was trying to treat, teach his closest apostles, Peter's Peter, James, and John, that, that he took them to the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's trying to teach them something. At the high moments and at the low moments, we are better together. Oh, yes, we are. Can I tell you a story? Three stories, actually. Three stories. Two of them are biblical, and one of them is from the legend and folklore of the Jews. The Jews give three reasons why the temple why Solomon's temple was built where it was built. First, they say it was the location of ancient Moriah, where Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. And they say that's why the temple was built there. Second, they say also it was the site of Ornan's threshing floor. You remember where David said, I am going to pay full price. And he offered sacrifices to the Lord and the plague was stopped. Oh, praise God. We need this plague stopped, folks. We need a plague stopped. We need to go into a sacrifice of prayer and say, Lord, stop this pestilence and stop this plague. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. I felt the Holy Ghost in that. That's the second story of where the temple was built is that it was built on Ornan's threshing floor. And then third, the Jews point to a story, a story not found in the Bible. But the Jews will tell you this story has far-reaching implications. It's the story of brothers, two brothers. One of them was single. One was married that had many, many children. It's a story of a threshing floor that lay between the two brothers' homes. It's a story of a great, great harvest. The harvest was in sheaves of grain tied and laying on the threshing floor. The threshing had begun. The sheaves of grain were split 50-50 between the brothers on each side of the threshing floor. Late that night during the harvest, each brother tried to sleep. The joy of the harvest had melted into gratitude and then into brotherly kindness. The single man, the brother who was single, thought of his married brother and how much greater his need was. He said he's got a wife and family, he's got kids, and he purposed in his heart, I'm going to arise and move some of the sheaves from my side of the threshing floor to his. The married man was trying to go to sleep that night, and he thought of his single brother and thought, you know, he has little to rejoice in, but the harvest. I'm going to arise and move some of my sheaves from my side of the threshing floor to his side. And at midnight, two men, two brothers, with arms filled with sheaves of grain, met in the center of the threshing floor. 
And when they realized what each brother was doing, they dropped the sheaves and they embraced. And the Jews say, that's where the Ark of the Covenant rested with twin cherubim reaching across the mercy seat toward each other. That the blood is applied in brotherhood. As God said in Exodus 15, I will meet you there above the mercy seat where two are reaching toward each other. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And now in Solomon's temple, that's punctuated, accentuated with twin cherubim standing before the cherubim meeting on the mercy seat. A gigantic cherubim, 15 feet tall. They are standing there as sentries, just as cherubim did at the Garden of Eden, guarding the way into paradise. And now we have sentries Watchmen, guards standing inside of the Holy of Holies. Uh, Oh, they're standing there before the Ark of the Covenant to remind you and me in this last day, watch and pray. We are centuries uh, of salvation, watchmen over precious things. We stand before God like those cherubim, those twin cherubim of old. Uh, We are together because alone we can fall asleep. Alone we can be overcome. Alone we can go astray or fall by the wayside or fall and have no one else to pick us up. Woe to the brother or sister in the year of 2020 who does not have other brothers and sisters watching out to help one another, to pick one another up. Are you with me here today? Are you united here with me today? Will you stand in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with me and lift up one another in prayer? Let me draw out something else about these twin cherubs that stood in the Holy of Holies. And this is really what I settled in on for the last few minutes here was their wings. The Bible said they stood 10 cubits or 15 feet tall. Their inner wings were wrapped around each other. They touched each other. But their outer wings touched the walls of the holiest of holies. It was not a design flaw. Solomon designed it that way. The collective wingspan of these two cherubim with 30 feet wide, the width of the holiest of holies. Wings. I think that's what God wants you to see in the most holy place. Look at the mercy seat. You'll see the wings of those cherubim. Look around the room. You'll see the gigantic wings of the large cherubim. We know that God is a spirit, but for us to better grasp him, he's described in the Bible as having wings. In Exodus 19, God said, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Psalm 57, David spoke of the shadow of God's wings. Jesus, Matthew 23, said, I would gather you as a hen does beneath her wings. Wings are an emblem of divine protection, of divine presence. It's little wonder then that wings of prayer has been the abiding metaphor for seeking the face of God. Prayer, D. Meyer said, prayer is the wings of the soul, which with it takes flight to the throne of grace. Uh, Augustine said, do you wish your prayer to fly toward God? Give it wings of fasting and giving. Uh, Prayer is the rustling. I love what Spurgeon said. Prayer is the rustling of the wings of the angels that are on their way, bringing us the presence of heaven. Have you heard prayer in your heart? 
Spurgeon said, then you shall see angels in your home. And oh, I especially love what Corey Tim Boone said, what wings are to a bird and sails are to a ship. So is prayer to the human soul. Oh, praise God. Great saints of God are distinguished uh, by those wings of prayer. But we live in an age where prayer rooms have gone silent and the tarry until mindset has become part of yesteryear's scrapbook, no longer found in today's playbook. Uh, The act of seeking God's face uh, is met with apathy or disinterest uh, or it's a curious oddity or it's a quaint custom from days gone by. We have forgotten our wings of prayer. Amnesia in part has happened to the people of God. We need to be stirred once again to stretch our wings and soar into the heavenlies. I spoke earlier this week about the woman with an issue of blood who pressed her way through the crowd saying, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. The hem of his garment. You've got to realize the significance of that. We're not just talking about the border of the garment. But adorning the robe of the righteous righteous, and the rabbis of those days was a fringe of blue, a ribbon of blue, a tassel of blue at each corner, each of the four corners uh, of the garment. You see, the Hebrew word for corner is translated wings uh, in Malachi 4.2. In the last chapter of the Old Testament, the prophet is saying there is a Messiah. He is going to come. And to those that fear the name of the Lord, the Son, the S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. She said, if I could touch the Him, if I could touch the wings of His garment, then He's truly the Messiah. And if He's truly the Messiah, there is healing inside of those wings. We can't forget the wings, folks. That's where the power is. We can't forget the wings. That's where the glory is. We can't forget the wings. That's where the deity, that's where the almighty God is made evident. That's where Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, becomes our healer and our strength. We are living in a day where the fifth horseman, a fifth horseman of despair, and hopelessness and malaise and depression and oppression are running loose upon the face of this earth where the scourge of pervasive loneliness has hit us in the shelter in place in the last few few months and the riptide of lawlessness is, is being replaced by the righteous tide of righteousness. There is a seismic shift taking place on this earth and the skies of brass are going to be open above us and we're going to find the wings of prayer and the wings of fasting and these are forgotten wings come on saints of God stretch those wings unfold those wings and soar into the heights I I don't know why I'm thinking this but oh I'm thinking about this God just impressed it on my heart. I I I I I I have a good friend. He's a he he's a great man of God. And he stepped into a church where 
that church had grown very carnal and grown a long way away from God. And and uh, he was praying one night in the church and uh, it was as if God gave him a vision of, of angels, gigantic sentry angels, huge angels uh, standing in the corners up toward the ceiling uh, of the church. Uh, and he saw he, and he heard a rustling uh, and those angels came awake uh, and wings uh, began to stretch out and dust uh, and glory began to fill the room. Uh, and the Lord spoke to him and said, those are the prayers of the righteous saints uh, that have been laying dormant for for decades uh, in this church. Uh, I promise to keep my eye on this people uh, and I'm awakening uh, old prayers and they are about to be fulfilled you know what so saints of god we need to unfurl our wings of prayer we need to unfold we need to stir ourselves and shake ourselves and stretch those forgotten wings and accept our rightful place in the heavenlies you can soar above a pandemic world. Yes, you can. You can stretch your wings and fly. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings. It's time to get a hold of the wings of prayer and soar into the heavens. You say, Pastor, I didn't expect this this Saturday morning. I'm just still rubbing the sleep out of my eyes. I get that. But oh, oh, saints of God, just shake yourself, stir yourself, uh, speak one to another and say, let's see that awakening. Let's soar into the heavens. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Leave your prayer requests. Leave some victory reports out to the side. Like the page. Follow the page. Share with one another. And yeah, tomorrow morning, day eight, I look forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.